Welcome to the Align Nutrition Podcast, a place where eating doesn't get in the way of living. We use science and psychology to move past the challenges you face while healing your relationship to food. I'm your host, Erica Drury, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. For the past 10 years, I've been helping people like you find a happy medium of flow and balance with eating. If solving these issues were easy, you would have figured it out already. Expect to learn a new way. Each week, you'll hear trainings, listen in on mini coaching sessions from people on your same path, and learn from other guest professionals. I'm so glad you've joined me. Hey there, welcome back to the Align Nutrition Podcast. Today I have with me Victoria Myers. She is the dietitian and owner of the virtual private practice, Nourishing Minds Nutrition. They specialize, her and her staff specialize in diets, regulating hormones, healing digestion, and learning to practice wellness without obsession. She is also the host of a popular intuitive eating and wellness podcast, the Nourishing Women podcast. Her mission is for her community to help women let go of unhelpful beliefs when it comes to eating healthfully, making peace with their bodies and living their lives to the fullest. Welcome, Victoria. Thanks, Erica, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Your mission is so wonderful. And, you know, it seems to me that wellness and diet culture often kind of attach themselves in that kind of hormone digestive health realm. And it's refreshing to have found you and practitioners such as yourself, you know, really kind of finding these additive kind of holistic ways to approach this work. So how did you get into it? Oh my goodness. <laughs> a long story. I'll keep it <laughs> short question. though. You know, it really born out of own personal journey, as I'm sure for so many of us that do this work. I mean, I think you almost in a way need to be having had your own story because it makes me so insanely passionate. But you know, I had my own journey with yo-yo dieting, restrict and binge eating and orthorexic tendencies. As a result of about a decade-long experience with that, I also had a really hard time getting my period back after coming off the birth control pill. I also experienced really gnarly IBS symptoms and SIBO as well. And so that really led me down this evolution of figuring out because as I'm sure so many people can relate to, if you have hormone digestive issues, you kind of get in this mindset. And when I was struggling, it just was like, I will do anything to feel better. So I would you know, get into this wellness culture mindset of I need to take out this food, I need to do this, I need to do that. And luckily, intuitive eating saved me. It saved me in so many ways. And I was able to heal my relationship through food. And what I discovered through my own intuitive eating journey is that we don't have to do all these crazy things with our diets and do all these wellness culture mindset philosophies that are out there in order to heal. You know, that might be true for some people. I won't ever negate someone's lived experience. But honestly, there's so many people who are like myself, I just had disordered eating and needed to heal their disordered eating in order to heal. And I think that was an evolution that I needed to go through in order to open up the practice. And we're about to enter into our fifth year of doing this work. And like you said, we specialize in intuitive eating, body image. And then since anytime we have that and have that orthorexic mindset, so the unhealthy obsession with eating healthy, it does tend to cause you know health complications and health issues to the body. So that's why we also do a lot of hypothalamic amenorrhea work. So that's when people lose their periods. And then we often find a lot of our clients have IBS too. So that's not all the things that we do, but I'd say that's like the primary things that we do in our practice. Yeah. And thank you for speaking to that in the way that you did and sharing your experience and how it developed a lot of the philosophy of your professional practice. 
Because I think that like you, a lot of people starting out are confused. They feel like, okay, healing my body and working with this you know, protocol or this thing that might help me because I feel awful. And then I also want to feel at peace. And I've heard about intuitive eating. I heard there's another way. I know these things have to be connected somewhat because when I'm stressed, I have more symptoms in you know, my digestive space or there's other things happening. And how would you share with people that this stuff isn't necessarily incompatible, that they can really go together and marry together with each other? Yeah. I think the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is that intuitive eating and more specifically making peace with food in your body, and it allows for healing for a vast array of reasons. But you know, one of the first things is just that we simply aren't eating enough food, right? Like we forget that food equals fuel and obviously so much more. It's pleasure and satisfaction and so many amazing things, but we need nourishment for our bodies to function adequately. And when we start to lose our beards or when we develop really intense digestive issues like bloating and gas and pain. So often it's because our bodies have started to shut down the pathways because it's not getting enough fuel. So I think it helps in that way. I think you mentioned, I think the gut brain axis, that's another way it can be just so supportive is knowing that our thoughts do impact the way our body responds to what we're eating and how it absorbs things and how the symptoms that we experience. So I think healing from disordering also is healing in that way. And I even say, honestly, like a lot of times there's all this stuff out there about your gut microbiome, right? Like that's like the really in thing right now. But we forget that we need to eat a very diverse diet. It's the best thing you can do for your gut microbiome. And all these diets that are taking out every single food in your diet, that's actually making your gut microbiome less and less diverse. So I think that's just like a few of the many ways it can heal. And I'm sure Erica, you know this to be true too, but I mean, it doesn't Intuitive eating doesn't mean that there's never a space and an ability to practice a medical diet with it. I mean, I think that's one of the big misconceptions of it. I always like to give as an example, someone with celiac disease practicing a gluten-free diet can still absolutely practice intuitive eating. Someone who does need to temporarily follow a low FODMAP diet for their IBS and get a hold of their symptoms, like we can still practice intuitive eating. But I think first and foremost, at least with my clients, I always like to make sure that they are working towards a peaceful place with food in their bodies before we start working on that more complex, nuanced parts of both the nutrition supplements and then other healing modalities. Absolutely. It's like that relationship with food. It is your foundation. It's Mm -hmm. what you're working from. It's what anything you might be layering on top of it. It's where all of that is going to rest. It's your frame of reference. When you're hearing information, when you're managing your bodily functions, when you're hearing your hunger signals, when you're tuning into fullness, like working through some of that knowledge and that relationship while we start to bring in the more targeted approaches that might be necessary later on. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Oh, that's so powerful. And I think even just what you have shared so far, and I think a lot of us don't know the power of the gut brain access and how, when, you know, these thoughts or these stressors that we have about what we're actually eating and, and how that can impact us. And it's not to you know, blame ourselves as individuals. Like all of this is obviously just learned and the stress, it's so understandable, but nice to know that if it's, it's hopeful to know that if you're simply working on your relationship to food and how you feel about it, that you're going to see improvement in all areas. Yeah. What is that percentage? Something like 98% of people with eating disorder struggle with digestive issues. And it makes sense if we think about all the complicated ways in which disordered eating or an eating disorder. I specialize more so in disordered eating, but all the ways it impacts our bodies. And 
I think that sometimes we forget in our pursuits for the thin ideal and to have this perfect version of health is the way that actually that alone could be impacting your health. And I think for me, the biggest thing, and I'm sure you would agree, Erica, is emotional well-being should be above all, even more so than reproductive digestive. Like that needs to be first and foremost. And I think that can really positively impact all other areas of our health too. I couldn't agree more. And I think when you're new to intuitive eating or you're trying to really just soak up all the concepts of intuitive eating, if we go really high level, kind of beyond the principles, it's really this process of removing a lot of these barriers that we have outside of ourselves, all of these external messages, all of these things that we've learned about food and trying to get more in tune with our own internal experience and kind of like clearing the way. So that feels really beautiful because you're, you're connecting to your body. In doing that, you'll start to really find a rhythm that, and in like kind of building that trust and that calm that can, can absolutely impact the emotional well-being. Mm, I love that so much. So I think the biggest theme that I wanted to carry through this, this interview is really the, the tagline and how you guys practice, which is this wellness without obsession. And, you know, looking at, I really wanted to touch on hypothalamic amenorrhea and IBS. So thank you for mentioning those because those are so common, you know, co-occurring with, with people who are dealing with disordered eating. And so when we think about, you know, that kind of idea of wellness without obsession and bringing together all of these conditions, you know, and thinking about intuitive eating as kind of unlearning and, and moving away from some of the external stuff and getting more connected. What are some of the common maybe fears or, you know, worries about moving through this process or maybe some of the, like, you know, how when people start the journey and they're like, but I need to, you know, I'm get so bloated when I eat that. You know, and I'm trying to like tap into somebody who's right there. Who's like, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. I think the first thing I'll say, when you say fear, the first thing that comes to mind for me though, is fear of weight gain. So we'll get to the bloating thing in a second, but just fear of weight gain. I just always like to validate people that you are okay. Like it is okay if you fear weight gain. And I just really want to not necessarily normalize it, but validate how you feel. Because I do think that there is this feeling as if you can't practice intuitive eating until you let go of that fear. And I couldn't advocate enough that like, it's okay for you to still have that and still learn towards what it means to respect your body and let your body be and stop micromanaging it. This idea that you need to let go of that first, I think will always keep you, it will always prevent you from being free to rediscover intuitive eating. So let yourself just kind of hold space for that desire, but also try to open up to something new is what we always say. So I just always like to speak to that. Anytime I hear fear, the first thing I'm like, we got to talk about fear yep. of weight gain because that's gain. <laughs> always what people fear. And you know, this interesting waking and bloating can sometimes tie together because both can really cause negative body image. And so one of the biggest things I see with bloating is that it causes people to feel really negatively about their bodies. And then they start to be restrictive in nature towards their food choices or maybe excessively exercising because they're bloated and that makes them fear that they are potentially gaining weight. So it really honestly all ties together. You know, with bloating, like I said, I think we kind of start with like, I always like to think of like that hierarchy of needs. Like, do we have the foundational things taken care of first? Are you eating enough? Are you exercising appropriately? Is your sleep and stress in a manageable way? Are we really doing a good job of taking care of ourselves? And once those baseline things are there, we can talk about, I mean, I'd already mentioned something like the low FOMAP diet, which is only meant to be used temporarily until we determine which ones are your primary trigger. 
So that's something you could consider. You know, to be honest with you, we often do more of a modified approach with that. What we focus on more with our clients, because we do recognize a lot of times they do have symptoms as their body and themselves are learning to eat those foods that they deemed off limits for so very long. We actually use supplements a lot in our practice to help them manage their symptoms in order to let them eat those foods again. Because I think what the disordered eating mind does is it convinces you, oh, I have this reaction. I shouldn't eat that food. Where in reality, you probably just need three to five exposures of eating that food and you'll probably be able to consume it with minimal symptoms. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's always exceptions to this, right? There are food allergies. There are certain situations where like, obviously we wouldn't want to do that. But for the most people, we want you starting to eat those foods to get your body used to that. And you should have less and less bloating. But you know, just even if someone supplements are obviously not something I'd ever give advice on in a podcast because it would be inappropriate to do so. It's so individualized, but just even thinking of like adding herbs or spices to your meals can help with, you know, maybe some of the properties that are often found in herbal supplements that can help reduce your bloating and maybe thinking about like a gentle nutrition approach like that, like something you can add in instead of think of all these things you need to take out. Think of all the fun things you could add in. Another fun, quick idea would be like an essential oil, like peppermint oil. You would obviously want to mix with a carrier oil, but you could rub it on your belly if it's feeling really bloated, something like that, or drinking some peppermint tea might be another fun idea. I love that. I love that. And it's it takes me back to what you were saying about sometimes a large part of what we're dealing with is this reduced intestinal variability. So, you know, if you're lacking the digestive enzymes and variety there, then introducing them, there's going to be some discomfort in the process. Absolutely. And just knowing that it will get better for most people. Again, I'm not going to say that like all scenarios always equal this, but for most people, it really does quickly resolve if you can get through those initial first challenges. And I'll even say sometimes it's just that your mind is so chaotic while you're eating it for the first time. I mean, that's why we need to expose ourselves to eating these fear foods, of course, in a safe way if you need to with your with your dietitian. But it's so important to do that because that's how your body gets used to eating those very foods again. Absolutely. You highlight what I think underpins when people are describing their transformation, people who've lived through this, it's those exposures. They've, as they've gotten less scared of that food, less stressed about it over time, there's this biological component that's supporting what you're doing as you're practicing. And as the stress level comes down that you're noticing, oh yeah, I used to, you know, not be able to eat that. And now it's a little bit better than it was before. Yeah. So well said. If you are loving what Victoria and I are talking about, you're nodding your head, you're clapping your hands because you've wanted to hear people bring together this relationship of eating intuitively, medical nutrition therapy, wanting to understand what it means for you and your individual situation. It's because it's in the wheelhouse of a dietitian. And oftentimes in Instagram posts, podcast episodes, we can't always take something and make it about you specifically. And that's why it's important to get value from those things. I love putting them out. I love writing for you. I love doing this and talking with you but sometimes we need something else. We need a step further. We need someone to walk us through it. And I would encourage you to join Realign Community where I'm often meeting with you every single week on group calls to get personalization, tailoring of information. You can also email me privately if it's something you don't wanna share with the group. We also have trainings about different topics such as this. So definitely check out the link in the show notes, realignedcommunity.com would love to have you and help you through this.
you know, when I'm thinking about, I'm still thinking about that person who doesn't completely understand intuitive eating enough to know that there's not a level of incompatibility. And that I get DMs all the time or like people responding my question stickers that are like, well, but what if I have a health condition? And so I'm thinking about, I don't know about you, like you mentioned with the the gluten, like if I'm working with someone like, awesome, let's find some gluten-free bread that, you know, doesn't break apart in your hands. Let's find, you know, a way you can make your grandma's recipe in a way. So I'm thinking about like, how can we talk about that person that seeing that, Hey, all of this stuff and the intuitive eating and gentle nutrition, they're not like what I would recommend to someone to eat who's healing is the same thing I would recommend to someone who would eat who has PCOS. And obviously if later on, maybe we need to bring in some supplement, but you know, so that's where I'm kind of thinking about like, how can I ask you about that to really demonstrate that they aren't not going they, to. Yeah. Do. They're not one versus the other. They are the yes. same thing. Cause it's the same, it's the same diet. It's really the same way of eating that allows for both and right. Like you don't have to like take out one food group in order to allow another. You mentioned PCOS. So that's a great example of that is there's wonderful gentle nutrition practices we can do to support PCOS management. Things that I'd recommend to anyone, like eat consistently and regularly throughout the day to balance our blood sugar levels, omega-3 fatty acids for inflammatory compounds. I mean, these are things I'd want everybody eating, eating more fruits and vegetables in our diets. Just because we want to add in wonderful, yummy, delicious food, like the things we just talked about, doesn't mean you have to take out all these food groups. I'm sure, Erica, you feel the same way I do, but the, the annoyance level that I feel about the demonization of sugar and carbs, particularly for people with PCOS, is so frustrating to me yeah. because there's not only with digestive issues, we talked about this earlier, but with PCOS, I can't remember the exact percentage, but there's such a high prevalence of disordered eating and eating disorders yeah. in the PCOS community. It's I feel really like that's high. unethical. If we yeah. know that, how are we also telling people that they have to diet and lose weight in order to manage their PCOS. There's so much more we could do. Yeah, there really is. And it, yeah, it becomes this kind of chicken or the egg where, you know, if somebody's starting to develop PCOS when they're, you know, early in their adolescence, then, you know, they start, if their body is responding differently to carbohydrates or they're having changes in their, you know, their weights or whatever they're looking at, it's this self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, if I eat that, then, you know, I'm going to feel crappy or I'm going to gain weight and whatever. And there's just, they haven't come to know their bodies yet. They haven't gotten that, you know, solid understanding. It's such a risky age in in that time of developing potentially an eating disorder or disordered eating patterns. Absolutely. And you had asked earlier about hypothalamic amenorrhea, so HA, I'm going to refer to as that from now on because it's a mouthful, (laughs) (laughs) such a mouthful. I always like to mention this too, because intuitive eating is actually a great example of where we don't want to practice all the principles of HA. I'm sure for your community, that's very true with when recovering from an eating disorder, but it doesn't like negate intuitive eating at the same time. They still can coexist together. It's just understanding if you do have HA, there is, you know, a need to follow somewhat of a meal plan, make sure you're eating enough, if anything, making sure you're eating consistently, regularly getting more carbs and fat. So I always tell people it's like the hunger and fullness principles, the gentle nutrition, there's aspects of that we can apply, but we don't want to apply all of it 100%, but that doesn't mean that you're not practicing intuitive eating just because we're being thoughtful to not apply the ones that wouldn't be best for your health at this exact moment. Yep, absolutely. A lot of times when I'm working with people and we're talking about that, how there's kind of these prerequisites to, you know, whether you have high anxiety at the moment. And so maybe your hunger and fullness cues aren't available to you. Or like you said, your body really needs a little bit of structure in terms of re-nourishing and rebalancing and you know, kind of bringing that surplus of nutrition in before your hunger and fullness 
symptoms might come through in a way that you feel that you can trust them or consistently or whatever. And so kind of almost having that time to, or, you know, with the diversity of food, slowly working to increase that to support the greater variability in intestinal flora to help with the symptoms as we're starting to move in that. So it almost becomes these, you know, kind of three steps really of eating enough, eating regularly and bringing in some variety to help give you the support to kind of confidently move into intuitive eating. And like you said, it doesn't mean you're not practicing it as you go. It just may feel like, I always think of um, bowling with like the bumper lanes on, you know, you're still throwing strikes. <laughs> That's a great analogy. I love it. You just have a little, little safety mechanism there on the side to guarantee your success. I'm going to use that. That's a good, that's a good analogy. I mean, it really does kind of demonstrate, I think for the like visual person, like that exactly is what it is. And it doesn't mean that you're not doing this work and that you won't one day, you know, fully embrace all the aspects and principles of it. You just need to put some bumpers on your, your alleyway when you throw your little ball for now. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here and having this conversation today. I feel like we were really able to kind of highlight hey, you know, there's this big misconception around these things not being able to coexist, looking at some of the things that your body needs for support in order to really help guide you and your intuitive eating journey. And more importantly, that your mental wellness underpins all of this. And, you know, kind of also that relationship of weight of that fear of weight gain is going to be hanging out with you throughout this process. So let's keep talking about it. Let's normalize it. Like let's work through it as it comes up. Yeah. I think I appreciate you saying all that. And I so appreciate you having me on the podcast. This was wonderful. And I wanted to share a little bit. You had posted recently about kind of for you, you know, where you had this idea of what wellness culture looked like and what it meant to be a wellness provider. And I really related to that. So much of my experience as well was thinking that I kind of secretly wasn't like living up to what I was supposed to. And now it's such a gift because I feel like I can embrace, you know, having a kale smoothie and drinking a beer in the same day. And (laughs) you're my kind of person. I love it. (laughs) About that. (laughs) Yeah. So you're talking about that. I'm just like you post that I recently did. I'm I'm so glad it resonated for you, Erica. And I've heard a lot back from good feedback from people that it resonated. And honestly, it just drives me bonkers that this is where we are in the wellness world that we really, and I was one of those people who thought like I had to be this person that was so perfect with every behavior and really be this kind of, you know, put on this pedestal of what it meant to practice health and wellness. And I think that's how, I mean, especially orthorexia is something that I'm very passionate about. That is how orthorexia begins when we start to believe that that is the only way to obtain health. And it has just been such an honor to really show the imperfectness of my actions and show that this is what wellness and you'd asked very early on, you know, our philosophy wellness without obsession, that to me is what wellness without obsession is. And I had said in the post, something to the effect of it's me hiking and meditating the same day that I also had margaritas and chips and queso for dinner. It's both. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I hope we can really create that change in the wellness world where people, I think what happens is like the average day person who doesn't work in this field, they begin to feel either two things like they again need to start to become this perfectionistic, start to develop orthorexic tendencies in order to have health, or people just give up on health thinking that like, there's no way that they can attain that. So why try? And I think it's just such a disservice. You're making me think too, I just, we're running an online program right now for intuitive eating. And one of the amazing students in my program is talking about how she's a personal trainer and she 
probably even more than you and I, Erica, as dietitians, has a lot of a lot of weight on her shoulders as far as like what people expect her body to look like. And we really helped her work through her fear of weight gain, bringing that back into the conversation. <laughs> because it's like, wow, such a wonderful opportunity. I know this is scary, but what a wonderful opportunity that you have to showcase that as a personal trainer, you aren't perfect either. And then we really get people moving their bodies and eating in a gentle nutrition way and practicing intuitive eating. Like, I think this change that we're all asking of, of the health and wellness world is really going to like positively impact the health of all of the nation. And I, I know you probably feel just as passionately about yeah. intuitive eating that it is truly for everybody. And I, I really do hope I wake up like 50 years from now and like, we're all just doing this thing. We all said, screw diet culture and <laughs> we're doing wellness without obsession and intuitive eating. And just, you know, we've removed all that nonsense from the conversation. We have, and it does, it feels so inclusive the way you described it. And I've, I've witnessed the same thing from people just constantly invalidating themselves or dismissing their experience if they're not living up to whatever that perception of perfect health looks like. And they're sitting at the table with the rest of us, you know, and, and practicing things that are, that are really good for them. So where can people find you? Yes. Okay. So there's a couple different places you can find me. Hang on with me. So the first place I always like to mention is Instagram, because I know a lot of people love like the quick snippet of education and information that you get. So we have two accounts. My personal one is at Victoria Myers underscore, but our main account where you'll find most of our education related to hormones and intuitive eating, body image is at Nourishing Minds Nutrition. I have a blog called Victoria Myers. We post on there weekly a podcast called the Nourishing Women Podcast. We have two episodes a week. And then that's all of our free content. We work so hard to put out as much stuff as we can to support you and your intuitive eating journey. But we also have online programs. We have a period one and a intuitive eating one. And then we also work with clients one-on-one and we love, love, love our clients. It is an absolute honor to get to do this work for a living. Oh, it is. It's, it's everything. It's, I don't think everybody has to have a job that's their ultimate passion. And Agreed. Yeah. You know, but I'm I, so glad mine is. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Well, wonderful. Thank you again for being here and everyone else until next week. Thanks to you for listening. Find me on Instagram at Align Nutrition. Let me know if you like this or if you have other topics or ideas for the podcast. I love hearing from you. If you've gotten something out of this, help us reach more people who need this message by subscribing in your podcast app. A nice rating and review also helps us reach more people and is so appreciated. I hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time.